for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Ah, it's that time of the day again. It's my favourite time. We are talking Pet Chat and a big welcome to Dr. Kimberly Earl and Daniel Carrington. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Denny, long time no see. Now, tell yep. us, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, our listeners would know Julie Tolliday. She's been on the show many mm. times from Barker's Imbalance and she'll be talking to us about leash reactive dogs. Isn't that such a technical term. Dr Kimberly Earl, what are we looking at a little bit later today? Everybody thinks that being a vet's a glamorous job but I actually spend a lot of my time playing with poo. So we're going to have a bit of a talk about <laughs> poo because it seems to be the theme for the week for me this week. So. Oh, you've been covered in poo? Well, not covered but there's been a lot of it in my life. But Denny, right now you've got a special guest on the line. Please introduce her. Oh, microphone's on. Special Sorry. guest Julie Tolliday from Barker's Imbalance who's been a regular on the show for many, many years. Hello, Julie. Hi, Danny. Good to talk to you again. Welcome back. Thank you. Now, I wanted to talk to you about leash-reactive dogs. So it sounds complicated. Sure. Tell us what that means. Well, the term leash-reactive really means a dog that, when it's on the leash, can't handle seeing other dogs, mm. doesn't know what to do, and for the poor old human, it means that the dog is very likely lunging, showing its teeth, barking, growling, and just looking like it's out of control. Okay, yes, and that's also embarrassing for the owner. And it's Very like, embarrassing. Do they have control? Yep. can be annoying. Okay, so yes. what causes this kind of behaviour? Well, look, probably several things, like any um, problem, there can be several causes. It could be lack of early experience on the lead where they understand that passing dogs are no threat. Um, maybe they didn't have enough early socialisation even through puppy school in the beginning. But if a dog's had a bad uh, experience on the lead, that can stick with them for a long time. Um, also, and we don't, I don't want to blame the humans, but if the human has been used to pulling that leash tight when they, when they pass another dog or winding that leash really tight around their hand, then the dog starts to suspect that there's something wrong when other dogs are passing. Also, once you've tightened or shortened that lead, you've lessened the dog's options of being able to turn their body away, turn their head away, or move a number of steps away because you've trapped them on that bit of string. So, yeah, so there's a few things to, to think about in that arrangement. I'm guessing what are the effects of the leash reactivity like for the human and for the dog? Well, for the human, the first thing that it does is it makes the human not want to walk the dog anymore. Mm, mm. So then you get this awful vicious cycle where the human goes, oh, no, I can't because, you know, he just goes crazy and I find myself hiding behind cars and hiding behind bushes. And the human loses their confidence and the human's body language changes and the human stiffens without even realising it. And quite often they've pulled that lead in and they don't realise they've done it. And for the dog then, they lose their opportunity to practice because they can't go out anymore because the human's too worried about taking them out. And if they, or if the human does continue to take them and the dog keeps lunging and barking and growling, it's practicing those behaviours over and over again. And in the extreme, if that lunging and barking makes the other dog and other handler turn and go away, the scared dog goes, oh, it works. If I lunge and bark, they go away. 
Oh, it's such a complicated issue when you think about oh, that, like noticing the body language and working with that. Yeah. And I know I've, t- I've worked with people who've had these kind of problems with dogs and you have as well. And then when they finally solve it, it like brings tears to their eyes. Well, it does. Because, because they can take the dog for a walk without yes. the issues. Yes, exactly right. What, so what can be done to help this? What I do, what I explain to people is that your dog, because it's a dog, is going to see, the, from the second it sees the other dog, and it might be like 100 metres away, from the second it sees that dog, it's going to do some subtle doggy things that we don't, we don't even know about unless we've looked into it. So they might momentarily freeze. They might lift one paw. They might lick their lips. They might turn, roll their eyes away or they might turn their heads away. Um, they might, the obvious one is, of course, their hackles rise on their backs, the tail will change position. But I say to people, when the dog's just doing those early ones, if I can teach you how to intervene and give the dog a pleasant experience that doesn't involve engaging any further with the dog, then we've kept the dog what we call under threshold. I say to people, it's like an imaginary line on the ground and if you don't notice those early signs and you keep walking, once the dogs cross that line, they've lost their mind. They're deaf, they're blind, they can't think, they don't know you're there because they're in the scared zone. Uh, So we teach people how to see those early signs and give a response to that to the dog that helps the dog go, oh, phew, that feels better. And is there a realistic expectation for the outcome of this kind of intervention that you're, you're thinking of and what you're educating and training? Yeah, look, when I think about that, I think, oh, well, maybe your dog won't romp in a leash-free area, but quite often these leash-reactive dogs are fine off the lead because they can make their choices. So um, some of them aren't. For some of them, it's like, no, we're not working towards off-leash. All we want is that we can gradually lessen the distance towards the target dog, and eventually we can walk past it, but because you've got a set of uh, strategies, I call it like a toolkit, if you've got a set of strategies that engage the dog with you and they stay willing to engage with you, even when a dog's walking past you on the same footpath, then you've achieved happy emotional response as I pass another dog that used to be a scary. Thank you, Julie, for all that information. Lovely to have you on the show. And as always, if anyone does want to have more information or even a a personal meeting with Julie about these kind of issues because they are important, yeah, look her up on Barker's Imbalance. Okay, it is Pet Chat and taking your calls on 49216216. We've got Faye from Cahiba. Uh, Faye, you've got a question for Dr Kimberly Earl about um, your dog eating cooked chicken or or just cooked bones. Yes, because I make my own stock and I said to my daughter just recently, oh, I should give you these bones, you know, when I've cooked them. She said, no, it's very dangerous. You shouldn't give those cooked bones to the dog. Mm, she's absolutely right, Faye. Unfortunately, when we cook bones, we make the um, the bone a lot more brittle. Uh, and then when the dog chews on them, they're much more likely to splinter off. And so when the dog chews on them and eats them, um, it's a much higher risk of them having a, a problem um, such as a you know a splinter of bone going through their stomach or their esophagus and, and causing a major problem. So we never recommend feeding cooked bones at all. 
Oh, well, thank you for that. She was right. Yeah, she's right. That. The only way, I mean, we have a different opinion with this too in terms of raw bones, but yeah. a raw yeah. bone is, is a lot safer. Mm. You, you certainly wouldn't do cooked bones. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, like Danny's alluding to, we, we, I don't recommend feeding any bones because I get to see the ones that, you know, the animals that have had a problem with a bone that should have been safe. Lots of dogs ah. eat bones that are raw and don't have problems, but um, I would never say that any bone is 100% safe. So just be careful. Yeah. Okay, thank okay. you so much. You're very welcome, Faye. Now, Kimberly, it's funny when you come in because usually every week <laughs> there's been something that's been more prevalent that you've mm-hmm. seen. And this week you've been lucky enough to be inundated with poo problems. Lots of poo problems happening at the moment. And I don't know if it's the weather or what, but um, seeing a lot of diarrhea and a lot of um, people complaining that their dog's poo is not normal this week. So oh. um, so that's a really interesting thing. So. It's a, it's a thing because it's very visible and there's lots of problems that our animals have that aren't very visible and so we sometimes don't know that there's something going wrong. But everybody keeps a pretty close eye on their dog's or cat's poo or their bird's poo even. And um, so like I said, it is, it's something that people see. And when something changes, people are very insightful and they'll often give me very detailed descriptions of what the poo looked like yesterday versus what the poo looks like today. <laughs> it's, it's funny <laughs> if you, you can imagine that. reading my medical notes is quite entertaining. Do you welcome photos? Because my sister-in-law's Absolutely. a vet and I was trying to yeah. explain the poo to her and I'm like, do I have to bring it in? She goes, there is a thing called the mobile phone these yeah. days. Take a photo and I'm like, oh, that's a much better idea. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually really helpful. I get lots of photos and videos of things. Um, so I guess I wanted to have a chat about, you know, when is it important to um, really seek veterinary attention? for your dog or cat's poo problem or poo change versus when do we think we can just sit at home and watch it and so the key thing that I always tell people is look at the demeanor of the dog so um, or cat but you look at the demeanor of the pet and see is my pet acting normally am I still seeing a bright happy animal who's willing to eat the poo's changed but you know there's still everything else is really normal or am I seeing a real behavior change because that is sometimes the first thing that's going to alert you to that actually there's a real problem here okay so, so their behavior changes because they're feeling unwell yeah and people get really freaked out about seeing blood in the stool and mm. so it's a it's a common call I must have had three calls in the last sort of five days that I've been working of people going oh my goodness I've just seen some blood in the dog's poo like can I rush them up straight away it's an emergency and when we query them and say okay well just tell me what's the pet like are they are they bright happy running around still playing with toys oh yeah that's all good are they still eating their food yeah yeah that's fine there's no change I just saw this blood and I guess because blood is a little bit scary you know when we think about blood we sort of think oh well that's you know there, there could be something really wrong so a lot of times when we're seeing frank red blood in poo that's coming from the, the bowel, the, the last section of the intestinal tract. And it's usually telling us that there's a bit of irritation of the bowel, that things are a bit inflamed. Um, and it's not actually, in most cases, a, an emergency. So it's definitely oh. worth knowing about. And it's probably worth somebody having a look at, particularly if it's more than just a single, um, you know, a single episode of it. Um, but it's not an emergency the same way as if you were to see a really dark, black, tarry sort of, we describe it as coffee ground sort of poo. For me, that's actually much more of a concern. Oh, is it? Because that tells me that we've probably got digested blood, and that makes me think that there could be something bleeding higher up where the where the blood's having an opportunity higher in the tract to spend some time there. So a stomach ulcer or an intestinal perforation. So that's the really black, sticky, really tar. black, sticky, tarry sort of poo. Yeah. So we call it melina, and it would usually tell us that there's been bleeding higher up in the gastrointestinal tract. And I'm much more concerned about that than if somebody says, "Oh, there was a little, little streak of poo, uh, sorry, of blood, blood in the in the poo that I could see." 
because that might be a little bit of, like I said, a little bit of colon irritation. It might be that the poo is a bit hard and we've had just a tiny little mucosal tear yeah, as, as okay. the poo has passed out, that kind of thing. That is so, so interesting to know because I, like so many other people, mm-hmm. when I saw that in Gizmo's poo yeah. the night before we went to New Zealand, I yeah. thought, oh my God, I can't go. He's got cancer. <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. I had no idea that it's... And as it turns out, it, he, you know, he had an he anal okay. gland abscess and yeah, he was okay. Sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, I just freaked when I saw it. Yeah. So some of the things we can do if your dog's got, um, let's say, some diarrhea or some blood in it, maybe some mucus. Sometimes blood um, comes in, if it's that frank red blood, will come in combination with mucus. Um, if the dog, have a look at your dog or your cat. Are they bright, happy, eating, drinking, you know, doing everything else normally? Great. So then you can afford probably to see if we can, um, you know, wait it out a little bit, see if we can keep it at home. I would feed a really, really bland diet, take away all your treats. So no bones, no treats, nothing that's, you know, a little bit richer than usual. Really bland diet um, of just sort of boiled chicken, um, no skin, no fat, you know, and and some boiled rice, if it's a dog, obviously. Um, A couple meals of that, see if that settles it down. but we we might um, you know have to have a think about it if the dog is acting a bit you know sort of differently if we've got yeah any sort of signs so it's their way. attitude yeah, as well yeah. look we're going to come back and talk more okay. on this but we've got Larry on the line now from Lambton now Larry you've got a question about your son's dog yeah it's it's one of those uh, they call the Australian bulldog I don't know mm-hmm. whether you know the species or not yes that's fairly large dog probably mm-hmm. or probably getting towards 20 kilos, you'd like you to lift it up. Easily, yes. But what yeah. it is, uh, it's only 10 months old, but it's constantly uh, losing uh, hair all the time. Yes, yep. But, the, but it's like it's a fairly short coat. Yeah, sure. But the hairs are probably, oh, when they come out, probably about an inch, or the old, in the old measurement, about an inch. An inch, yeah. And he- heaps of them, but... Uh, yeah. Okay, so listen, it's Larry, it's it's a pretty um standard thing. So those are not a non shedding dog. Uh even though they do have a short coat, they will continually molt out their coat. Um a pup who's around that age is probably um maybe still changing out a puppy coat to an adult coat, so you may be experiencing a um a greater sort of volume of hair. Um, fallout at the moment um, but we would consider that a pretty normal sort of thing for those dogs they they are not a non-shedding breed and although the hair is short um, it is still fairly a dense coat and it's still fairly prolific so if the, is the dog showing any patches of baldness or um, scabbing oh, no, on the, the coat, coat? The coat itself is lovely. Good, yeah. It's really, really good, you know, good, good colour and yeah. the dog is very active and happy and eating and everything that uh, are just uh, thought, well now you said that, mm-hmm. it is a, a type of dog that is a, uh, absolutely. a shedding coat. A shedding coat, yep, absolutely. So unless right. you're getting bald patches or scabbing or the dog's really itchy, it's probably normal for that dog. Yeah, no, I know. The coat and everything's lovely on it. Yeah, uh. <laughs> good on you, Larry. Look, he was just a concerned grandparent then. Oh, no. yeah. That's good. It's yeah. nice to have grandparents looking after your dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's really well, good. it's 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 um his son's dog, but I'm calling him grandparent to the dog. Well, you know, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's taking good. your calls, 49216216. We're talking pet chat. Now, Kimberly, um, we're, we're looking at blood mm. in our pet stools. And, mm, and changes, you, yeah. Yeah, and changes. Yeah. So you'll say, you were saying before that you've sort of got to see the behaviour of the dog yeah. and, and see how that's going. So mm-hmm. if we were to spot red blood yep. in the poo of our pet, you, 
you're saying it's not something we need to take it's, them to the vet straight away? Well, it's not wait. an emergency. In most cases, provided the dog is bright and happy and well within themselves, it's usually not an emergency, okay? So if that was to persist for more than sort of 48 hours, then I definitely would go into a vet, take a sample along. I know that's really yucky, but grab a little Ziploc baggie and put some poo in there, take it along to your vet so they can have a bit of a look at it. Um, uh, but it's not an emergency, we, so we don't need to panic. I guess I just want people to sort of not panic. I think it's something definitely worth monitoring, but um, but we don't have to panic about it. But if you look at your dog and you say, gee, my dog's actually really quiet today, or he didn't eat his breakfast, or you've noticed any vomiting that's gone in combination with that um, diarrhea or blood in the stool, um, then that is something that really needs to be seen by a vet probably on that day. Okay, So diarrhea with lethargy is almost always going to be a more serious concern. Um, the other thing is if you have a really young puppy, puppies have very um, short reserve time in terms of energy, calories, blood sugar, those sorts of things. So if you have a young puppy and they've got persistent diarrhea um, and certainly if they're showing any signs of lethargy, they need to be up to the vet that day, preferably within the next sort of four hours or so. Um, if you've had vomiting and diarrhea in concert, again, that's another thing. The dog may be in between bouts, may still be relatively bright and happy, but if those two things are going together, we start to worry about things like pancreatitis, maybe foreign body obstructions or partial obstructions. Um, there can be lots of other things, toxicities, those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it certainly can be important. Mm. We're going to go back to the phones now. 49216216. Hello, who have we got? Uh, Ron. Ron, you've got a question for Dr. Kimberly Earl. Yeah, that's not a silly question, but I have two Maltese girls, mm -hmm. and they're not very sociable, and we'd love to be able to start to take them down to the uh, leash-free parks and that. Yes. But just what's the best way to sort of start them to train them to be a social sort of thing? Okay. How old are these dogs? Oh, they're 10 now. Oh, right. So they're quite older dogs. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I guess the thing with an older dog, um, I mean, you can teach older dogs new tricks and, um, and that's not a reason not to socialize them. I would do everything in small steps and getting them used to, um, to it, you know, on their terms because it may be a bit, um, uh, anxiety creating for them. If they've never been out in a social environment like that and then at that age we're taking them into an environment where they get um, frightened, that, that can you know just increase their level of anxiety. Yeah. So yeah. I would start by um, you know, taking them out on a leash. Um, we were talking a little bit with Julie earlier about leash reactive dogs, but see what you can do. See if you can get them to show interest without having to engage directly with the animals um, at the leash-free park and things like that. Take them on a leash, maybe walk them around the outside edge um, on the on the outside. If they're tolerating that pretty well, you could try walking them on the inside. Often dogs are a bit less reactive when they're not in a, um, a home territory sort of space, so you may find that just having them outside of their normal environment um, is is better but if they're the kind of dog who's you know really I mean lots of dogs will show anxiety with aggression so they're worried about what's happening you know what might happen to them a big dog comes near and they might start to, to carry on um, but it might be because they're worried that that dog is going to you know do something to them and so like Julie was saying you know we get the you know I'm going to show you you know I'm going to warn you off before you come too close because I'm worried yeah, so well one, yeah, one of the girls tends to lead the other girl, so to speak. And yeah. That when you take her for a walk around the block sort sure. of thing. Yeah. So um, watch their watch their body signals too. Have you got a nice alert dog who's showing interest, or have you got a dog who's starting to cower? The tail's going down, the ears are coming back. Oh, There's no, a lot of lip, of lip licking. Really, really keen. Yeah. And is your concern that they might do something um, inappropriate yeah, to well, somebody they're not, else's? They're not really biters as such. But they yeah. do bark a lot. Barking. Yeah. 
Maltese. They're Maltese, so that kind of goes with the breed to a certain degree. Um, I guess I would go in short bouts and and make sure that they're not getting sort of too out of hand. They're a little bit like kids sometimes. If they get really worked up and agitated, we might just need to withdraw them from the situation, give them an opportunity to calm down, have lots of their favorite treats on hand so that um, if things are getting a little bit out of control, you can try to bring them back, um, you know, get them to, to focus back on you and things like that. If if they're really, you know, having a hard time of it or really carrying on, you're probably not going to be able to bribe them back with treats. You might have to just remove them from the situation and try again another time. Yep. Go slow yep. and, yep. and take your time. Steady. Yep. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you're very welcome. Thank you for the call. Taking your calls, 49216216. Hello, Joe in Mayfield. Hey there. How are you going? We're doing well. The radio down so it doesn't echo me. Oh, yes, please. Um, yep. We've got a beautiful little puppy, Cleo. Um, she's a bit of a pigsy. She's a um, Labradoodle. Yes. Um, store-bought, so I can't be sure whether she's 100% or not. But she loves to eat a poo. Oh, yes. Yes. That's so a lovely... So we have two big dogs, and I yeah. try to um, clean up the poos every day. Obviously, if it's raining, when I get up, I can't go out there and pick them up, and they go all soggy. But I try to pick them up every day. But she's very sneaky about it. And mm. even though she gets fed morning and night after dinner when we eat, she still will go and eat poo and, mm. and look really sneaky when she's doing it. <laughs> it's an, it's a, Joe, it's a, it's a really hard behavior because um, to, to a dog, that's kind of a normal behavior. They, they like to eat things that are smelly. Um, is it her poo she's eating or the other dog's poo or, or it doesn't? Um, it could be both. It could be either. In yeah. saying that the other dog's fine, he doesn't eat it and I definitely yeah. don't want him to learn bad habits. But yeah. I also have, um, I, it's a home business, so I work at home. I have a dread shed here at home where we do dreadlocks and stuff and people, the clients love to pat the dogs and get them mm. up on their laps and blah, blah, blah and it's embarrassing when she's got poo breath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, it is a hard one. Listen, um, you know, I Would think I you wash can... wash her mouth out, possibly? Would that deter her from doing it? If when I smell poo, I say no poo no. and wash her mouth out with soap. Would Unf- that help? No, unfortunately not, because unless you're doing it at the exact <laughs> moment that she's doing it, she will not have make a connection between to, to the poo okay. and, you know, what's okay. happening to her mouth. Next so, question. Yeah. What if I catch her doing it? What I've been doing is smacking her on the bum like you would a normal child yeah. you, you know you saw them eating the poo i just give her a good smack on the bum and say no poo mm, again not likely to be that useful um because uh. she won't associate the the punishment that you're doing with again what she assumes is a normal behavior so it is one of these tricky behaviors that lots of people find very offensive but in dog yeah. land it's quite normal um and so it's it's a little bit like you know punishing a child for breathing um she she doesn't have that conscious it's it's disgusting for us but it's normal for them so it's not really an appropriate response for us to be giving to her so unfortunately the, the best thing the, the best advice i have really is to pick up the poo um, wherever possible you may need to start going back to sort of taking her out on a leash so that she doesn't have free roam during those periods of time so you get the opportunity to pick them up um they used to talk about you know things you could put into the dog's food so that when they pooed it didn't taste very good um, there was a product that we used to have, I used to know about in Canada, but I've never seen it in Australia, and I don't think it worked that well. Um, okay. You, you can certainly, you know, I think I think a verbal distraction, if she's going, you know, towards the poo, if you see her heading over there just saying, you know, fluffy, no, you know, come away, that sort of thing, yeah. and trying to distract her so that you get the opportunity to pick it up is certainly worthwhile. 
from a standpoint okay. of your um, your clients, I think you know uh, teeth brushing is, is the best thing to do for her in that regard. It's going to keep her teeth nice and clean and healthy, hopefully, um, and it will remove the poo breath from her. And most dogs will tolerate teeth brushing um, pretty well. Joe, okay, sometimes. Sometimes a diet change has, has helped in cases where I've worked with someone, but there's not enough time to talk about that on the show at the moment. But if yeah. you leave your phone number with the station, I, I can call you back. Yeah. Okay. And just get some toothpaste and toothbrush from a pet shop? Yeah, doggy toothbrush, uh, like a doggy okay. toothpaste. The toothbrush isn't yep. that critical, but a doggy toothpaste um, is really important. Yeah. All well, right. Joe, good you. luck with that. Thank you very much. And hopefully your clients won't, you know, be smelling poo breath. Yeah. You know? Just don't I, I put your face too close. I can understand how yucky that is. Sometimes I have anal gland breath from my dog and that's not any better than poo breath. So mm. it's yeah. a hard, it is a hard it's problem because once it becomes a habit. Yeah. Yes, and the and they like it. I mean, if you think about, you know, you take a dog for a walk, they come across a four-day-old dead bird. Well, they think it's gonna, awesome. They think it's great. Yeah. And so it is, it is a tricky one because it's one of these instances where we really find it um, quite yucky, but the dog's just thinking it's, this is a party. It's like trying to take <laughs> away the, you know, the caramello chocolate from yeah. me at night. You know, yeah. that's outrageous. <laughs> so have we got Christine on the line? Yes, you do. We're very noisy, Christine. Can you get to a quieter place? I'm in a car, that's all. Uh, okay, all right, well, give it a crack. You've got an anxious dog. Yeah, I've got a, a, a new Kelpie, and he um, I've only had him for two months. He's about 10, 11 months old, um, and he freaks out when I go to work and just does everything he can to escape and chase me up the street. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what else um, to do with him now to calm him down. Mm -hmm. He seems fine when the kids leave to go to school, but... If uh, he sees me in my truck leaving for work, he he's really barking and yelping and carrying on, and eventually does calm down after a little while. But unless he um and then but yeah, if he can, he'll he'll escape and get out and run up the road and. Mm, yep. And uh, what kind of things have you tried with him at this stage? So he loves um, a peanut butter jar. So mm -hmm. he has um, a couple of little treats hidden in the yard to. Yep distract him at time I'm going, you know, I just sit him down yeah. and pat him and, you know, just keep him calm. I don't get him ramped up or anything before I leave. Good, yeah. Um, the other day I had to put him on the chain and then when the kids went to school, they let him off and, and that was fine. Okay. So, yeah, different little different techniques. Yeah. And um, so if, he doesn't, if he doesn't get out, then he'll stay at home and it doesn't matter. But right. Every other day he's getting out. We okay. can't find out where. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a really important thing is trying to locate where he might be getting out, how he's doing that, because that's important to keep him safe, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would work on trying to make, you know, the morning routine of you leaving a really positive one. So I think spending yeah. a bit of dedicated one-on-one -on -one time with him is really good. Um, but I would um, bribe him with food. And so that, you know, I wouldn't feed him any breakfast until you're about to go away. You know, come and say, say your goodbyes. Um, give him a nice pat. Tell him what a good dog he is. And then um, I would feed him out of a Kong um, feeding treat or, or another kind of you know feeding cube so that he's not just um, getting his food out of a dish that lasts sort of for 25 seconds. Um, make yeah. him work for his food. Kelpies are very intelligent dogs, and they do much yep. better if they have a job, if they're a working dog. And that just doesn't necessarily mean he has to have you know sheep to round up, but making him work for his food so that he's not ever being fed out of a bowl can be a really, really useful thing for these guys. So, um, you know, like you said, hiding his food around the... Um, around the yard scatter feeding him um, so you just toss his dry food um, across the lawn and he's got to work to find it um, using a, some sort of a commercial treat that way you can freeze it I often will put um, 
dry food into a Kong, soak it in some water for 20 minutes and then put it in the freezer overnight and toss that out onto the back lawn um, for the dog to eat and that's her meal, you know, for the morning um, so that so that we've got something to do so that he's sort of going, oh, right, she's going, oh, that means it's breakfast time, this is great. Um, so giving him something to keep himself distracted, you know, so that he's not worried about where you're at um, is, a, is, is can be helpful. If you're finding it's really problematic, certainly Kelpies um, are, are, are prone to having some of our, you know, anxiety disorders where they can be um, helped out a lot by pharmaceuticals. So you seek, seek help from your local vet and see if, um, if that sounds like something that would be useful for him. Okay, because, yeah, we've, we've gone and bought a bunch of toys mm-hmm. that he has to, you know, secretly get the treats out. And he's, he doesn't seem to be food orientated at the time mm-hmm. someone's leaving. Yeah. You know, um, it's when when you're at home, he's he's constantly chasing around his bottles and doing all his yeah. bits. But, yeah, and it only seems to be me. Like, we go for a run in the morning, you know, I've done, mm-hmm. done the whole morning routine. And as soon as I head to that car, you just see him freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll good I'll luck with it, Christine. Keep yeah. persisting, okay. and yeah, and and have a chat with your local vet if um if you're worried because training and and behavioural modification is sometimes made a lot easier if we can help you know reduce the level of anxiety in their brain. So because yeah. it's really hard for Christine and the owner as well when sure. they're leaving and seeing their dog you know and become worried anxious. about worried about whether he's going to escape and, and absolutely have something bad happen to him. Yeah, absolutely. That mm. would be that would be quite um, scary. I'm sure. We're talking pet chat. Having a quick look at the weather for our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group Maitland for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen and Isuzu Utes. Remaining overcast and uh, wet in patches around Newcastle and the Hunter, hoping to get more inland. Uh, heading for tops of 21 today. Don't know whether we will get there. Um, now we're going to have a look at our dog of the week. We've got the gorgeous Roxy. Now she's an 18 month old wolfhound cross whippet. That's an unusual breed, isn't it, Dr. Kimberly? Oh, I haven't heard that um, too often, that combination. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a very weird combination. It's a strange combination. Yeah. Yeah. She, doesn't, she doesn't really take after a wolfhound that much, but anyway. Yeah, um, there's a photo of her on our website yeah. at 2NURFM.com under Pet of the Week. Look, she's a gorgeous-looking girl. Um, she's very affectionate, who loves being around other humans. She loves a snuggle indoors, but she's happy to stay outside during the day. Her training is well underway. She will sit and wait for her command before she eats dinner, and she she shows absolutely no aggression with food. She's very energetic, so she needs a good run or walk every day. She loves the park and the beach. Uh, she isn't a digger. She doesn't get up to mischief, and she's happy to relax on her bed outside during the day, waiting patiently for her foster parents to get home for, from work to give her a walk. Um, so, look, if you'd like to find out more about Roxy or even meet her, then you can head to 2NURFM.com to get all of those details. Mm. That would be an interesting cross. Yeah, yeah. A whippet's like greyhounds that are quite mellow. Well, well, no, they're small. They're just they're quite a bit smaller. Um, they're they're racing. But I mean, dogs. temperament. Are they are they can't because no, you know? No, ah. no, no. In fact, greyhounds are probably calmer than whippets are. Okay, mm, well, because yeah, greyhounds are meant to be really strong. calm. Though. They're very calm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whippets are very high strung actually, and uh, whippets active. are very fine, very fine very legs, fine builds, but yeah, yeah, very fine build. So, yeah, it's an interesting combination, if that's what it is. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) She she definitely takes after the larger breed. Yes, yes. 
Okay. Yeah. Look, that's looking, just about all we've got time for today with Pet Chat. Denny mm. Carrington, always lovely to have you come in. Thank you very much. So Sarah. we'll see you in another month. It, yeah, first Wednesday of the month. For yeah, me. we always look forward to it. And Dr. Kimberly Earl, thank you for your advice today. You're very welcome. Lots of questions on poo. Yes, it's just that kind of a week, I, I think. I tell you what, if you're not worried about your dog's poo, you're worried about your kid's poo. It's never oh, ending. Yes, it yeah. really is. I, I never thought that you get you so know excited it's, when a kid does a poo. Every, everything poos, right? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly who happens. Like I'm trying to explain to my son, you've got to poo to live. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There mm. you go.